0: You're listening to the Sermon Cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Today, we are continuing our sermon series that carried us through the month of June and will continue now through the month of July exploring this theme of Godspeed. Godspeed is an old English word as printed in the back of the bulletin, the description there that literally means God flourish you. We're asking ourselves, where are those places and what are those ways where we might step out of the swift water of life and allow God to flourish each and every one of us? and to send us out into the world to flourish others. And so we have visited different words through June, words like place, words like presence. We've explored what it looks like to go the pace of God's speed, reminding ourselves that Jesus never traveled faster than three miles per hour, as fast as his feet could take him. Maybe on a particularly strong donkey going downhill, he experienced what it was to go five or six miles per hour, but throughout Jesus' life, he moved slow. And so today we visit our next word in this series, exploring and asking ourselves, what does it mean to have an identity that is formed in Christ? So let us listen once more for God's word as it comes to us in the first chapter of the gospel of Mark, beginning with the ninth verse, the story of Jesus' baptism. In those days, Mark tells us, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, tear open the heavens once more that your spirit might indeed descend like a dove into this space that it might alight upon the hearts of your servants gathered here. O God, we pray that through your spirit you might take the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts gathered here and use them to your glory and to your purposes. For you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer amen well it's taken almost a year but I am pleased to report to all of you that the Dyer family garage is beginning to actually look like a garage (laughs) the day bed that has just been sitting there because the movers couldn't fit it through the laundry room door has finally been picked up and donated The rug that neither Aaron nor myself were really ever quite clear why we brought it with us has finally found its way to the dump. The tools are relatively organized. The bikes that were sprawled out all over the floor have been neatly hung in a row by hooks from the ceiling. We can't quite park a car in there yet, per se, but... For the first time, I can see the possibility. (laughs) Not that far off in the future. It's funny, as I've gone about this exercise of cleaning out our garage following our move to Spartanburg a little over a year ago, it's felt a bit like an archaeological dig. I've come across a box full of documents from my pre-ministry professional life, albeit a short one. Reminding me of all this work that had nothing to do with church or faith or theology, at least at the surface. Come across all manner of components belonging to car seats and strollers, a season of our lives that is now in the past more than it is in the present. All kinds of gear representing all of our failed sports endeavors. You know the kind, a badminton set. I don't know why we ever get those. A lawn bowling kit, rackets of some variety, all manner of weather-beaten, animal-chewed, and otherwise deflated soccer balls and footballs and other kinds of balls. Now, I know that, A, not all of us have a garage. This is the first garage Aaron and I have ever had in our married life. And I know, too, that garages often serve very practical purposes. And some of you have immaculate garages at home, the kind with the hypoxy seal on the floor. I know this because I've been in them. (laughs) And they serve really functional roles in your lives. They serve as wood shops or art studios or auto-maintenance care centers of one variety or another. We all have you know, reasons for the things that are there in our garage, but I also think that to a degree, each of us have those garages, whether literal or metaphorical, that have become something like shrines. Shrines to all the varied attempts through our years to shape our identities. I suspect if I came and walked through your garage, again, whether a metaphorical or literal one, I might find there some diplomas, diplomas that represented a certain trajectory that your life was taking during one particular chapter, but in no way represent the trajectory your life is currently on. I bet I might find a state championship trophy gathering all sorts of cobwebs something we thought would define us the moment we first had it in our hands. I'm sure there's some boxes in each of our garages full of clothes and outfits, some clothes and outfits that represent seasons of our lives that perhaps we never want to go back to, and some clothes and outfits that perhaps represent seasons of our lives that we would give anything to go back to. I know for a fact, too, that there are exercise machines in all of those garages, right? We all have these spaces in our lives and in our hearts that we have set up like shrines to our past. Churches are guilty of this, too, of course. Churches fill our garages all the time with programs and people and projects. Right? Our church garage might have that pastor that everyone loved or that children and youth ministry that we were just sure would always be there. It may be a mission initiative or a Bible study. It's this thing that in the moment we are sure will define us. This is the thing that everyone will know us by. We have those spaces where we allow numbers on paper or past successes or failures or tasks that we accomplished or didn't accomplish or recognition that we did or did not receive that we have let shape our very identities, that we have let define us how great we are or define how far we feel like we still have to go. I was telling our Sunday school class about a podcast that I have recently got hooked on. It's by a scholar and pastor named Andrew Root. Went to Princeton Seminary, teaches now at Luther Seminary up in Minnesota. Root spent a lot of time writing about youth ministry, but this podcast that he has now launched, a podcast with the rather dystopian name of When Church Stops Working, this podcast is this space where he is exploring all of the different tensions between the identities that we as individuals and as congregations wrestle with at this stage in history and at this stage in our lives. He refers to this time that all of us are currently living in as the accelerating age. And what he means by that is we are all constantly trying to curate these identities. Identities that are built around things like our job, our wealth, our travel, our sports, our volunteerism, our politics. And we pour this incredible amount of energy into creating and maintaining these things that we are just sure will be the thing that defines us. And the cumulative effect of all of this chasing, this chasing of likes and retweets, this chasing of recognition and validation, the cumulative effect is that it feels like we are on a hamster wheel, just constantly trying to accelerate, getting that piece of recognition for that thing that we did so well. This is the thing that people will know us by. And then as soon as it's passed, gone on to the next thing, racing and racing for the next hit of validation, the next like, the next retweet, the next whatever. And the cumulative effect you can all expect to know is exhaustion. The accelerating age is exhausting the 16th century uh, German reformer Martin Luther would often exhaust himself for all different kinds of reasons he would work and work and work he would convince himself that he hadn't confessed his sins enough so he'd go back and confess some more he would work himself into these really dark states And it's said that when Luther would find himself in these very dark seasons of life because he had exhausted himself constantly trying to get the next thing, he would say to himself out loud, Martin, be calm. You are baptized. Now what do you think he meant by that? Do you think he was literally telling himself to remember the physical moment that he was baptized? Do you think he understood baptism to work almost like this magical charm that once baptized, it will wash away all kind of worry and anxiety and stress that life brings? I don't think that was it. I think every time Martin Luther would say to himself, Martin, be calm, you are baptized, I think what he was calling to mind was the promise of baptism. The promise for him and the promise for us. That in our baptisms, our core identities have been established. That in our baptisms, we have been named as God's beloved. You know, I stand here recognizing that this word identity, it represents this huge thing, right? Our identities are impossibly complex and multifaceted. All of those things that are in our garages, our experiences, our jobs, our hobbies, our passions, our successes, our failures, all of those things impact who we are in beautiful and miraculous ways. You would not be who you are without each of those things. But ultimately, what the gospel tries to remind us and teach us Ultimately, the thing that each of us drag ourselves back to church to hear every single week is that the only defining truth that matters, the one that we can do nothing to create, that we can do nothing to earn, that there is no hamster wheel. If we just go fast enough on, it will turn the light above us on. There's nothing we can do to earn this identity because it is pure gift. And that defining truth that God gives us is that we are beloved. It's fascinating to me in that reading from Mark the story of Jesus' baptism. I said this in Sunday school as well. I warned you all there'd be repetition. It's fascinating to me that in each of the Gospels, Jesus' ministry begins with a baptism. We can open our Bibles and read through each of the Gospels and we'll find different stories in different Gospels. And we'll find that some stories that happen later in one Gospel might happen sooner in another. The chronology and the events don't line up perfectly between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there are some things that do. The most important, of course, being the resurrection. Every one of the Gospels tells the story of a Savior who was dead and who rose again. But the other thing that they all tell in exactly the same way is that Jesus' baptism. That naming as God's beloved is what comes before anything else. It is from the River Jordan that Jesus goes out into those years of ministry of healing and teaching and preaching. It all begins and grows from that moment where he is named beloved. And I am convinced that the pace at which Jesus travels then is not merely one of necessity or convenience. It is the pace of someone who knows their true identity. In fact, I would wager that if there were Ferraris and Autobahns in Jesus's time, he would still be traveling at three miles per hour. Because to go God's speed, Jesus is teaching us, is to go the speed where we can live fully and freely in our identities in Christ. Where we can wear that wardrobe that Colossians, which Joanne read for us, speaks of, that wardrobe that God sets out for us, those qualities of compassion and kindness, of humility, of forgiveness, of love. To go God's speed is to live fully and freely in our identity in Christ so that others might come to know their identity. In Christ, too. I was visiting with a pastor recently who was sharing a story from his own life that had played out in the last eight or nine months. This pastor had a neighbor who had become a close friend And a little over a year ago, maybe, this neighbor had been diagnosed with lung cancer. Never smoked a day in his life. A young man, late 50s, kids in high school, kids in college. He lived for seven months. Before this neighbor died, though, he invited my friend, the pastor, his neighbor, to go on the journey with him. And what he meant by that was he asked this pastor if he would walk with him one time every day. Now this man was not a believer, probably wouldn't have said he was an atheist, but an agnostic. Never really been to church, never really cared to go. Certainly not someone that was studying his Bible regularly. But he had this pastor neighbor who had become a friend, a little like a family member, and asked if he would go on the journey with him. And so they walked for as many months as they could in that journey. They walked every single day. And my friend, the pastor, was telling me that there came a day where seemingly out of the blue, this neighbor turned to him and said, what do I need to do? And my friend, the pastor said, well, you need to get your finances in order. You need to get the will together. You need to make sure that you have certain conversations with your family and the neighbor interrupted. No, 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 no. What do I need to do? And this pastor turned to his neighbor, a man who hadn't been to church in years. And he said to him, you don't need to do anything. My friend told us this story saying, you know, in now close to 40 years of ministry, that moment with his neighbor was the most powerful and profound Moment, in his entire ministry. <clears throat> what do I need to do? Friends, you know it's okay. It's okay to step off the hamster wheel. It's okay to go and clean out that garage every once in a while. Because the truth is, You don't have to do anything because you, your identity, the only identity that ultimately matters is the voice that says to you, you are beloved. Friends, for love... It's wide. It's high and as deep as that. We say amen. And thanks be to God.